Are you an enterprise dissatisfied with overpriced analytics software that can't keep up with modern data? If so, then GraphWell is the solution for you. GraphWell is an unstructured data analytics platform for enterprises who demand total data visibility across their network. GraphWell lets your security team go beyond the SIM and fuse data sources to correlate and answer questions you didn't know needed to be asked. Go to gravwell.io forward slash security weekly for an unlimited data trial and gain uncompromising visibility today. Today's determined attackers easily bypass even the most advanced network defenses. Trying to ramp up staff to detect their back doors can cost thousands of dollars and take months, even years. With Active Countermeasures AI Hunter, we enable junior analysts to detect even the most advanced back doors in a matter of hours. Sign up for a demo and purchase our product today by visiting activecountermeasures.com forward slash PSW. Active Countermeasures, make every analyst a hunter. Skeleton keys, golden tickets, forged packs, DC sync, DC shadow. The Active Directory attack surface is expanding faster than admins can keep up with. Securing your environment begins with implementing least privileged administrative models, but does not end there. Many organizations send Active Directory syslog events to a SIM platform. However, logs are noisy, of limited scope, and are time-consuming to review and act upon. Active Directory is secure when it's clean, understood, configured properly, monitored closely, and controlled tightly. StealthBits technology Technologies provide solutions that monitor, secure, and detect the latest threats against Active Directory. Visit them today at stealthbits.com to learn more. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. This is the Enterprise Security News. John Strand is here on the lines via Skype. And I think we're going to start off, well, there's two really uh, stories here, John, that I think uh, are near and dear to your heart, and maybe not so much in a positive light. Um, <laughs> And there was, uh, what was it? Was there an NSS Labs in here somewhere? I, now I, there was. It was 100% something, 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 something garbage. Something. I don't know. Where was that? Uh, all right. Oh. Go ahead, Paul. I think that was story number eight. No, that was the Minerva Labs one. They actually did a fantastic survey. 600 people responding to a survey is, is awesome. That gives you some pretty accurate results. We talked about that. But yeah, NSS, oh, here it is. It's story number three, because uh, it starts off with Fortinet. And I'm not knocking Fortinet. Uh, in fact, I spent a little time with Fortinet at a, a conference this year. Um, and people have really nice things, you know, outside of Fortinet to say about Fortinet. Um, and they're one of the recommended vendors uh, in this space. But what I found uh, interesting, and again, separate Fortinet, it, it take any vendor and plug it into a study that is conducted by an independent, air quotes, independent organization. And if the statement is that they demonstrated 100% block rate on exploits, document and script-based malware, as well as web and offline threats with zero false positives, like I guess you can just throw out all of your other security solutions and just go with whatever one they've chosen because that's the one that's going to solve all your problems, right, John? Well, and they also had the uh, 97.2 detection rate for evasions, and I don't, I don't understand how that happened. And we, we traditionally we've had a lot of problems with the NSS lab reports, all the way back whenever McAfee got the coveted 100% zero, 100% right. detection, zero false positives, crappy report a long time ago. And once again, make it very clear we're not ripping on Fortinet. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I think we we actually have their software here at BHIS. But the 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 point of this entire thing boils down to exactly what you said. Whenever you have anybody in any type of like document that says 100% block rate, zero false positives, mm -hmm. then just 
you know, stop reading right there. Mm-hmm. Throw the entire thing away. And once once again, this is this is the opinion of John Strand. This is not necessarily the opinion of Enterprise Security Weekly or the Security Weekly family, but I'll just go full tilt. This is complete garbage. And what sucks about this is from my perspective, I'm going to have to deal with this crap report for the next six months. I'll be talking to executives. And they're going to say, well, we're going to rip out Symantec, Sophos, McAfee, Carbon Black, whatever. And we're going to put in Fortinet because we have this report from NSS Labs that says it's 100% effective with zero false positives. People buy into this garbage and it perpetuates and it takes a tremendous amount mm-hmm. of time and effort to try to counteract that with my customers. So, yeah, was, Paul knew that this one was going to get me ramped up fairly quickly. Well, but these reports are traditionally garbage, and I think that we can safely start ignoring anything from NSS Labs uh, moving forward, actually, even over the past five years. Well, and, you know, I think what folks will say is, uh, or some insights we could have, is that for what they tested, for what NSS Labs threw against these products, there were products that detected 100% of what they threw at it. But they didn't yes. throw every piece of malware that they uh, that exists on the internet today that's packed in every single different way that malware is being packed today at all of these products. There is some limited subset of testing that they did. And in that testing, there were products that performed better than others. But as, you know, coming from vulnerability management background and looking at evaluation of products, like whatever smaller subset you're testing with is still a smaller subset. And so that's only going to tell part of the story. And as Lenny and, and Eddie were talking about that, the detection of the things is only part of it. How does it integrate into your processes? How does it improve your IT operations? How does it integrate into your other products that you might have when we talked about automation? Those are all factors that are, in my mind, equally as important as like how, how much malware can you detect? And again, you've only got a limited subset. I think that's why for me, the concept of attack simulation is so important because you may start with a limited subset and on a continual basis, you're continually morphing that subset. You're throwing it at your infrastructure and you're saying, hey, well, if I change that attack, now I discovered a new gap and how do I fill that? And then you're going and running your tests again. And it's not just a one-time test. Like, hey, we put a bunch of products in the lab, we threw a bunch of stuff at it and here's the best one. Maybe today, but I mean, even since this report or the testing was done till today, those vendors may have changed stuff. Malware might have changed. This is a changing landscape. It's not a static, uh, a static thing. Exactly. Also, what I find interesting in all of these evaluations is how are these products configured? And Johnny, you've said it a thousand times and you've seen this a thousand times at a customer. Yeah, we might have a gap. We might have done a pen test and they got in and they exfiltrated data and they, they did it this way. And you know what? If we use what we have and we configure it a different way, then we can we can detect that classification of attacks, maybe in the uh, MITRE attack framework. So you have to take that into consideration as well. Yeah, and and you know we we kind of touched on it briefly in the last second uh, last segment with Minerva. The MITRE attack framework is fantastic, but I think that people are starting to implement it in incorrect ways. So you have like sub T and the fine people at Red at Red Canary. They're basically yeah. developing a whole bunch of different skip scripts to give you examples on how this particular attack in this particular vertical and the MITRE attack framework works. And that's awesome for articulative purposes. But what vendors are doing is they're actually writing signature detects for those specific techniques, which is just developing another blacklist and overlaying it on top of the MITRE attack framework, which is garbage. So exactly as you said, this is a very complex approach, uh, you know, whenever you're making that more holistic across the enterprise approach for computer security and MITRE is kind of our first step in the industry towards looking at that. 
But once again, I come back to results like this. Once again, not ripping on Fortinet at all. I know my systems administrators love it. Uh, but this particular report of what we're seeing, whenever we have vendors that come up and they say garbage, like 100% block rate, zero false positives, that completely undermines all the work that has been done over the past few years where we're trying to develop architectural structural issues uh, to approach computer security instead of buying a freaking product and putting it in place. We also have problems with the reports because in previous years, remember uh, CrowdStrike, the one, mm-hmm. if you read CrowdStrike, I, I do not agree with CrowdStrike trying to stop the report from going public, but it opened up kind of a lens into, it was very clear that some vendors, when they're working with NSS labs, had the opportunity to come and tweak their product right. to better be represented. And we don't have that visibility into this report. And I think that that's problematic. I, I agree. Uh, we also had an article about threat intelligence and how it can tackle, I, help you tackle uh, your top five security operation challenges by using threat intelligence. Uh, and some of those challenges were alert overhead, false positive, uh, gaps in defenses, knowledge transfer, and chaotic environments. And, and there's a, a Security Week article uh, that outlines those five things, as well as uh, it looks like a SANS report. Uh, that threat pro- Quotient. Uh, from Threat Quotient, pulled by SANS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they probably did a survey with SANS, uh, mm-hmm. which is cool. Uh, and then did a report with them, and that report is available for you, for you to consume. It's actually written by Dave Shackelford. Um, mm-hmm. And so, John, what, what's your, your assessment uh, of all this data? I haven't looked at it as closely uh, as I should have, to be honest. Well, I think that you know, we just did a webcast on this a while ago, and we were talking about uh, threat intelligence. It, there's a couple of ways to look at it. One, if you're looking at threat intelligence and you're developing an internal capability whenever you see an attack, to be able to go and look for that attack in your organization, there's absolutely value in that technical skill set. Whenever you're having threat intelligence and it's being integrated with your other security products to make them more up-to-date and more effective with what they do, that is providing value. Correct. If you're getting threat intelligence feeds and you're basically looking at those threat intelligence feeds and the atomic indicators of compromise, and then you're going to go and try and look at that in your environment and try to find it, uh, that's garbage. Uh, it's complete and utter, utter trash. And this is my opinion, by the way, and this might be something that Shaq and I would disagree with, and this would be an awesome kind of breakdown to talk about it on the show. But the reason why I think it's problematic is if you receive an indicator of compromise from a threat intelligence feed and you write a signature and you're able to detect that in your organization, first and foremost, you're awesome. The fact that you could do that shows amazing skills in your, uh, in your abilities as far as what you do, and you are an amazing analyst and nothing but mad respect for me personally. However, I think it speaks less to the technical skills for the analyst, and I think it speaks more to the failing of your vendors if that particular attack makes it through. So if you're dealing with thousands and thousands and thousands of attacks, your vendors are there at the edge of your network, your firewalls, your IDS, your IPS, your endpoint security products, your anti-spam products. They should be ingesting these feeds and writing these signatures for these known attacks. If it is now incumbent upon you to do Herculean efforts to be able to detect these, it basically is saying that whatever vendors you're using are garbage and they're not keeping up with the actual attacks that are published public. So it basically has to be ingrained with your vendors already tied together in your SIM for it to be effective. But if you're trying to do, you know, basically a heroic effort on your own to detect attacks from these signatures, that's just not effective. That's, it's just not something that you can sustain moving forward. I think Threat Quotient uh, sells themselves short a little bit in the, the brief description they give for this. And I want to expand upon that because I think it can be a very effective solution 
and here's why. So they say that most organizations are seeing value by aggregating massive volumes of global threat data into a central repository for sharing. That's like a 50,000 foot view uh, of what's That's going on here. Sick. And there's, there's value. So don't read that and discount it. I think Threat Quotient has a, a great solution as well as some other vendors uh, in this space as well. However, where I really see the rubber meeting the road is when you look at an automation and orchestration solution. And DF Labs is a, uh, a new sponsor of our network. And they gave me a demo and it really kind of brought it together. And there was one part in the demo that I thought was the most interesting and greatest thing, right? They basically say, look, we're going to look at your logs um, and we're going to look at all the IP addresses that are coming from your logs that you send us. We're going to look at threat intelligence sources. We're going to make some correlations. And if we find a correlation, let's say someone uh, host on your network contacts uh, a host or DNS name that's on some kind of blacklist, we're going to take that. And then we're going to do some other verification checks, right? We're going to send it to some other threat intelligence sources like VirusTotal. And if that matches, we're going to bring it to an analyst and they're going to get an alert. And they're going to make a decision. They're going to see all that summarization of the data. This is, look, we've automated this whole process. Here are you, SOC analyst. We think that there's an event. The SOC analyst is going to look at it and go, yeah, I think we should block that. They're going to click a button. It's going to go off to your Palo Alto firewalls. It's going to make that block rule. It's going to create a ticket that that's done. So it's going to document uh, what it's done. Um, and you're going to move on with life. I think that's a great mm -hmm. example of what we can accomplish today uh, in, in our, our SOC operation centers. And it's the culmination of, yeah, some log collection from your SIM, some automation, some threat intelligence feeds, also with a human being looking at it at a certain point in the process, uh, which I thought was important. When I saw all that come together for me, in a demo, that's when it really clicked for me that this is how we should be using uh, both threat intelligence and automation and orchestration. Because mm -hmm. it's tied in with your existing systems and processes. I think that's what automation and, and orchestration not, really does. Well, it, that's what it not, allows you yeah, to do, but if just, it's not, that's a problem. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Uh, what else do we have this week? Um, yeah. Oh, VMware. Twitter bans Kaspersky. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you pick. Oh, so I was just going to say really quick, VMware, I, you know, I really think they're playing catch up in the container space. They made some announcements recently. Uh, traditionally, their app defense application uh, was limited to just their technology in vSphere and virtualization and cloud environments. Now it's expanding out in containers. I think we're going to see VMware try to play catch up into this container space. It's going to be an interesting thing uh, to watch. Uh, also, the, John, the one that you mentioned was very interesting. Uh, Twitter banned Kaspersky Labs from advertising on its platform, which I thought was yeah. very, wow. Just yeah. wow, and all around. Just very, very weird. Um, I, I don't know. That seems very political at the moment, but because I went through their Twitter feed, and to be honest, Kaspersky has some really fantastic posts that they've had right? over the past few Like their years, research but, lab is know. awesome. Uh, we were next to Kaspersky Labs at Secure World Boston. Mm -hmm. I mean, all, all nice people, all really, I mean, just trying to come out you know, from underneath that shadow of, you know, basically having their, their start in Russia and, and everything that's happened. I, I don't know. I don't think, do you discount Kaspersky today because, because of this? Uh, uh, I'm not sure. I, I could not. I couldn't politically uh, recommend Kaspersky to any of my customers in the United States, and that's not because I don't trust them. I mean, maybe I don't. I, I don't know. It's just politically, I don't see how you can go to your board of directors and say that you're using a product that showed up in the news in such a negative light as they have. It's just, it's politically, it's it's suicide to try to get that in. And I feel for them because, like I said, I love their blog, I love their research, right? And uh, 
what and they've always, and they've always had a solid i mean in av they've always had a solid product as well yes they've always had they've had always had uh, you know whenever you're comparing it to like your standard mcafee and Symantec, yes uh sophos is right up there as well but uh but no that goes back to if you're a company and you start doing things and uh all of a sudden you end up in the front page of the news in a negative way that can definitely have an impact on your organization. I honestly feel a little bit like Twitter's just big piling now. Yeah, and it, that is kind of irritating how much, to me, how much control social media companies have uh, over, you know, basically what information you send out and can essentially, based on their own political views or views of any kind of issue, prevent whole classifications of companies or specific companies from advertising on their platform. It seems really arbitrary and it's to support the social media company's agenda. Uh, I think if you go on the opposite end of that spectrum, uh, you look at Reddit, which is extremely open. In fact, so open mm -hmm. that it draws controversy to some of the content they actually allow on their network. And they still allow it to this day. And they've actually had executives. I read an article where executives were, uh, who had resigned kind of regret the policies that were in place and like kind of feel bad about some of the content uh, that is still out there under Reddit. So, you know, certainly there's got to be some middle ground, but, you know, uh, having a podcast in cigars, you know, we suffer from that. We can't take out ads on really any social media network because it revolves around tobacco. We saw um, the other article we covered was the uh, video blogs for guns moving to Pornhub like, because YouTube yeah. was like <laughs> taking down their channels, right? So the social media yeah. companies have control over this, which is which is just kind of irritating. I don't know how that relates to enterprise security, but I just want to express my frustration in being irritated with, with some of those policies. Because we talk about how the government well, can censor us, but I'm more concerned about large social media companies, more so than the government yeah. at this point. Yep, agreed. Um, there was another thing in here from uh, Sands about the five most dangerous new attack techniques. And I think that whoever put out this this article title just might have gotten it wrong. These don't really seem to me, John, like attack techniques. I think they they are attacks. There are some, I guess you'd call them techniques, like repositories and cloud storage data leakage. Certainly that's been a trend. I think that really is a problem with your data classification and data controls. And I think there's a lot of great vendors that are emerging and kind of dipping into security to help solve that problem. How do you define what data you have, what sensitivity, who has access to it, and how do you not lose control of the data? GDPR certainly yeah. is a huge driver for that. And there's a lot of misconceptions about what vendors do what with respect to GDPR. However, mm -hmm. I think the cloud storage data leakage is a big example of how many organizations have really just lost control of their data when it's such just a fundamental component of your security program to know what data you have, where it lives, and who should have access to it. And we still struggle with that problem today. And this was the RSA presentation that Johannes and Ed did, mm -hmm. um, uh, basically kind of summarizing that. The repositories in cloud storage data leakage, um, we do see that in a number of our assessments. One of the concerns that I have with this is the way it comes across in this write-up is that these are now the things that we should be concerned about. Um, <laughs> if you're going to get popped, you're going to get popped by someone sending you an email and a user clicking a link. Right. That's 95% of it. However, the goal of this presentation is talking about what's coming up over the horizon. And I think on that, on that note, whenever you look at it, what's coming up, it's mm -hmm. absolutely on point. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the cloud storage, storage data leakage 
that's something we see on the news quite often, you know, basically S3 buckets that are unsecured and it has, or API keys that are out on uh, GitHub. Yeah. See that all the time. Well, the also big data analytics, de-anonymization. I don't, this one, it's definitely in the news and I understand that it freaks people out, Paul, mm. but honestly, I don't see this as like something that is going to be as an attack against organizations. I think it's one of the things that organizations are collecting then they don't know and they would be in violation of some compliance frameworks. So it could be a risk. I don't see this as an attack technique. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but it is something that needs to be concerned. I don't know what your take on it is. Yeah, because I think that um, the, the the headline, what I wanted to caution people about is that this research is is great and these are five things you should definitely read up on and be aware of. They're not necessary. Don't read it in like, these are the new attack techniques. These are things you should be aware of if you're in enterprise security today. And I think along those lines, you know, they're number three of attackers monetizing uh, uh, compromised systems for crypto coin mining. That's again, that's not a technique. That's a, a result of them using some kind of technique, getting a foothold in the system. And what they do with it is they're using it for crypto mining. So their motivation yeah. has has changed Shifted. And, and that's important to note when you're looking at your enterprise security architecture is that it, it, and I think this has always been something to consider. I think today it's probably higher up. Like, you know, way back in the day, there was copyrighted content that people would compromise your systems. They'd upload some content they want to distribute and they'd use basically your systems and your bandwidth to distribute, like remember wares, right? Like, you know, all that, yeah. you know, copyrighted software and what have you. And then I think, you know, we, we shifted away from that and there were lots of different, uh, motivations of why an attacker would go after your system. And we kind of got comfortable with, well, they're not attacking me because it's not APT, right? Like, oh, who would use APT? Mm -hmm. But now we've kind of shifted back to if you've got bandwidth and you've got systems, someone's going to go after it. And their motivation could just be they want to gain a foothold and do some crypto mining. And therefore, yeah. you have to recognize that when you're doing your security architecture, that you're not being specifically targeted. It's their motivation is they just want to use your resources. And I think, uh, once again, this is not an attack technique. Like you said, that this mm. is an effect of an attack getting on a computer system. And I think the biggest concern that I have about this is whenever we had ransomware, we saw this amazing improvement in overall security because the attacks would lead to something visceral and painful. And executives would see this visceral, painful reaction um, you know, by having their IT assets locked out. They couldn't actually do business. That Wow, that's something that you got to react to and you got to improve your security. With ransomware, it was fast, it was immediate. With crypto mining, we're now seeing in our threat hunting that we're doing where organizations will be compromised, but it'll sit there and it'll run for days, weeks, yeah. months. And that's not visceral, it's not immediate. So as we're seeing ransomware start to kind of drop, which we are seeing it start to slow down mm -hmm. in our customers and this start to pick up, this isn't immediately painful. So I worry that organizations without that painful, immediate, visceral attack, they're going to stop investing in security at the rate that they were. And, you know, crypto mining, yeah, somebody's using your CPU cycles, it's going to cost you something in, in the terms of power, but power consumption, but it's not going to be something that goes mm. all the way up to the board of directors immediately saying, we locked out this entire project right. because someone clicked the link. It's not going to be the city of Atlanta. <laughs> Exactly, which was what fifty one thousand dollars is what they were charged for that. I can't remember. Yeah, and they ended up spending almost three million uh, on their remediation efforts. Which I, I've yeah. I cautioned people on a, a previous show that on Hack Naked News this week that you know you you don't want to pay the ransom. It may seem like that's the easy way out, but 
is it really going to unlock your systems? And number two, like, are they, they going to come back? Like you paid them once. That means you're paying like, Hey, you're going to pay again. Like, let me re ransomware your systems and maybe you'll pay me again. <laughs> right. Especially whenever you go that public that fast. Right. right. Uh, if you're out on the news and you're like, we got hit by ransomware. And it's like everybody that's doing those attacks now is like, Hey, wait, that's a great target to go after. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, there's a few more news articles in there um, for your reading pleasure. That will conclude the news segment of this show. Uh, and John, I think you have to, you have to drop off. Uh, so we'll return with our friends from Javelin Networks. So stay tuned. <laughs> 